Welcome back to the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast, the podcast for HVAC contractors who are ready to quit screwing around and begin growing their business. My name is Eric Thomas, and I am the host of the show. And this podcast is powered by Rival Digital, which is a full-service digital marketing agency for HVAC contractors. What's going on, everybody? Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to talk to you about Service World Expo 2021. It's coming up from September the 21st through the 24th in Louisville, Kentucky, and you guys are not going to want to miss this conference. It is going to be the conference of the year. Trust me, there's going to be over 2,000 contractors there. There's going to be dozens and dozens of partners and other vendors there. There's going to be breakout sessions, workshops, and some special keynote speeches, and you're going to walk away with the knowledge and the insight that you need to grow your business in 2022. So if you want to learn more, head over to serviceworldexpo.com and register today. I'll see you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Thomas. I'm the host of the show. You know, a lot of these episodes, uh, and obviously the title of the podcast is Smart HVAC Marketing. So typically we talk a lot about marketing, how to get your phone to ring, how to get people to your website, how to get people uh, visiting your Facebook page, and and how to really grow your online presence. Um, But if you've been in business for a while now, you understand that marketing and sales go hand in hand and that even if you're putting forth a, a, a huge effort in marketing, it's just as important to make sure that you have people that are ready to be able to either follow a good sales script or be trained professionally in sales to be able to help turn those phone calls into paying customers. Uh, so every once in a while, we like to bring on you know special guests that are you know professionals in the area of sales. Uh, and so today we have Roger Davison with us, who is a coach who does you know, helps people with their HVAC sales. So really excited about this episode and we're going to hopefully bring you a lot of good content in regards to sales. So Roger, thank you for joining us. Hey, Eric, thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So Roger, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners out there. Tell them a little bit about what you do and how you help contractors. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just let me just give you a little idea who I am. Um, I grew up in Alabama and I, went to college and got a degree in corporate finance investment management and I worked in the government securities business. I was a government securities trader. I traded treasury bills, notes and bonds and part of that process was I had to sit in a room with 50 very successful salespeople. Uh, These salespeople made a lot of money back in 1984, probably more than the CEO of the bank, three, four hundred grand selling bonds to other banks. And I was the trader and made markets. But what that did for me, I did that for two years. I got to watch really professional salespeople at work. And I watched them, paid attention to them. Got a little discouraged with uh, the politics in the bank and started my own business, um, an insulation contracting business in Atlanta. And I took some of the skills that I learned at the bank and built that business and sold it. And then I bought a really small heat and air conditioning business in a little suburb of Birmingham called Bessemer, Alabama. Uh, Many of you probably know Joe Cunningham. He came and helped me and he he reminds me that we had bullet holes in the front door because the building was a bad neighborhood. And I I just bought a little bitty business. I didn't know one thing about air conditioning, not one thing. 
I was so, uh, I, I wouldn't call it stupid, but just so naive. I didn't even know that I needed a heating and air conditioning license from the state, and nor did the man I bought the business from. And the state came by and said, hey, you know, you, you need a license. They were very gracious and gave me some time to study and get the license. But I took that little bitty business from nothing. He was just had an answer machine. And uh, he was the technician, and uh, he was 75 years old. But I took that little bitty business from, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand in revenue to, uh, I guess, $3 million by the by the late 90s. And if, if you adjust that for inflation, probably about a $5 or $6 million company today. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess to, to, to compare it, we were doing, you know, a decent month would be 40 or 50 systems. And uh, my business was really weird. I didn't have service technicians, one maybe. I had uh, three salespeople. I had 12 telemarketers. And uh, all the salespeople were expected to canvas neighborhoods or make cold calls. And so we made money every month all year because we were so proactive. And we really just happened to do air conditioning I really called myself, we were a direct selling company, really. Uh, we just happened to sell air conditioning. And really what we sold was monthly payments, much like Sears, I guess, the old Sears model. Uh, but everything we did was financed. We had uh, we had Alabama Power, we had Tennessee Valley Authority, we had Alabama Gas, and uh, nobody had any money. It was kind of a middle class to poor area but every most everybody had credit and we that's you know the whole world around here is built on credit Mm -hmm. so we were very successful in that and i sold that business to a consolidator and i started i wanted to i wanted to do this and here's why i had a i wrote a book called the service called blueprint and in the book is a story about rita who came to work for us and rita was hired to be a finance coordinator because when we sold the system there were seven pieces of paper that had to be signed and filled out we had to get copies of deeds it was much like closing a loan and it was closing a loan and uh it was taken away from my salespeople's time i wanted them to prospect and get in front of people that needed something that we had we paid rita twelve thousand five hundred dollars a year to do that job and she came to me one day and said, I can do this. I want you to give me an opportunity. And I said, well, we hired you to be finance coordinator, uh, but go read this book. Well, nobody else ever read anything ever recommended, but <laughs> for some reason she did. And I began to help and coach and train and mentor her. And Rita went from making $12,000 a year to make it, and she, the next year when we put in full time sales, she made seventy five grand, and it changed her life. Mm-hmm. And she moved from a bad neighborhood to a better neighborhood. And I've done some podcasts with Rita, and she said that I, she said that I wouldn't even give her any leads. Wow. And I, 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 I don't remember, but I didn't. I mean, she said it's a long time before you gave me a lead. I made her, didn't make her, didn't make anybody do anything. I just set expectations. You will prospect. And yeah. uh, we don't do that in this world, not in the HVAC, not in the residential placement HVAC world. If you do, call me because I'd love to meet you. <laughs> and um, so I started doing this because that. I said, man, that really, really wound my watch. It energized me. So I started, uh, you know, sold the business uh, and 
and then had to be a managing partner for a couple of years and then resigned and started doing this because this is what I really had a, had a passion to encourage people. And at the core of what I do is I'm an encourager at the core. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you usually think about prospecting in more of like a B2B sales environment mm-hmm. rather than, you know, straight to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So is, is that part of your sales training still? Is going No, not at all because nobody's willing to do it. Yeah. No, I just, nobody's willing. I mean, uh, I can't remember the last time I taught somebody to cold call, but it, but yet I do teach people how to how to call their customer base. I mean, if you've got the CSRs, they should be doing both. And uh, I mean, I got a client now, and he's really a one a one man show, really small, and nothing to do. I said, well, you must get on the phone and dial the telephone. I'll teach you how to do it. I write the script. You call them. You're gonna have great success because they trust you. And he make ten dials, talk to five people, and set three tune ups. And you go out and sell something. So uh, that's easy to do. And, and if you're not doing that, you should do that. And if you don't know how to do that, I'll teach you how to do that. But if you've got a, a business, heating air business, you just look at the numbers. I mean, service calls are where everything starts. And if you look at these are the, these are how many service calls we have. I mean, everything's a function of that. I mean, you can get better based upon service call process. But if you don't have any, you, you need to be booking you know, you need to book in your calendar proactively. Right now, it's not a problem because it's hot. But if it is a problem, you need to you need to have a plan of how am I going to fill these holes? And you do that by calling your customer base with the right approach. Yeah, yeah. it's really easy. Asking, you don't have, if you don't mind me asking, what what is that approach that you typically coach your clients on? Uh, an assertive, respectful approach, and it's. Uh, it's real assertive and respectful, basically, and permission-based. Hey, this is Roger with ABC Heating and Cooling. Uh, did I catch you at a bad time? And they know ABC Heating and Cooling. You might say, this is Roger with ABC Heating and Cooling. We take care of your system. Did I catch you at a bad time? If they say, yeah, well, then you say, well, should I call back? They say, well, 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 why don't you call it? But most of the time they say, sure, what's up? He said, well, we noticed we hadn't been out there to service your system. In a while, I can see in the system we feel like it's really important for reliability, uh, making it last. Or would you like to set a time for us to come do that for you? Well, how much is it? Well, thanks for asking. Let me tell you, you got two options, and then you do a little presentation. You know, I like to I like to present service agreement, and then I like to present if you just want us to come out one time. Here's how much it is. What would you like to do? Yeah. Real simple. If you make fifty, you should be able. You should really be able to make about fifty thousand two hours, twenty five per hour. But what you really have to get good at is you have to get good at leaving that voicemail, because that's what you're going to get mostly. So you 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 make dials, leave a voicemail, and they call you back. And the voicemail is, you know, I mean, I listen. When I started building this business, I called, I cold called, and I learned how to cold call at the bank because that's what the bank guys did. And they made time. It was hard because you had to learn to get past gatekeepers. Um, but so you have to learn how to leave a voicemail. And I would leave this voicemail. My target audience when I started this business was presidents. CEOs, if you did 40 to 60 million in revenue and you had a business in Alabama or Colorado, I didn't really target, target heat and air in the beginning. And I, I don't target it now. It just sort of comes to me organically. Um, and I would just leave a voicemail and say, Hey, this is Roger Davis. Uh, I 
felt like it'd be important for us to talk. Here's my number, call me. And I could leave 20 messages and get 10 callbacks and never forget a guy named Greg Russ called me. I hope he doesn't mind me using his last, last name. Uh, he's a, he this years ago. He said, Hey Rogers, Greg, did you call me? I don't know Greg from Adam, but Greg had a, um, a manufacturing company with 400 employees. And I said, yeah, appreciate you calling. Let me tell you why I called and you can decide if you want to talk. And we had a conversation, set an appointment and uh, that led to a very lucrative six figure consulting gig for me. Wow. All based upon leaving a voicemail somebody didn't know and he called back. But I, I answered that I answered it in my car going down the highway. But I would get I'd get callbacks for days. So, you know, it's a great strategy, but you need to leave your cell phone because you'll get callbacks for days. Mm-hmm. So what what is your I guess what's your typical advice on formulating different scripts, be it, you know, the service agreement versus Mm-hmm. non-service agreement or even if it's just a voicemail and then getting past uh, the I guess the gatekeeper which in a direct-to-consumer environment could be the spouse or mm-hmm. you know something else mm-hmm. uh, I think it's more of a mindset um, you have to have this mindset that it that is you know okay listen I'm gonna ask them for, for, for permission to talk to them and if they don't want to talk, it's their right to say no. And I'm not going to be pressing them, pushing them, and being aggressive and just talking over them because they're not listening if you do that. So you, you, the strategy for me is, hey, did I catch you at a bad time? And if they say, yeah, then I say, well, should I call back? They, they, don't, they know what kind of questions that they don't know. We'll say, well, what are you, what are you calling about? I mean, I can call people and say, this is Roger Daviston, and it's a sales call. Would you like to hang up? You know what they say? They say, they say yes. <laughs> and then I say, well, I mean, I've got a recording of that one. That was done 20 years ago. You know, I teach from that. So you just got to let, you got to give people a choice. Let go of your needs for them to talk to you, and they'll probably talk to you. Yeah. But cold calling is a real small part of what I do, real small part. And it's not really cold calling. I don't, uh, you know, nobody wants to. I could teach you how to do that, but you, you certainly need to call your customer base daily because you're losing them. I mean, I've done this for clients and sat down and said, let me show you how to do this. You call, I'll call. We'll call for an hour, see how we do. I'm in their office. And I hear this frequently. Well, we just put in a new system. And I say, well, we're okay. What was there something? Was there something with our relationship that broke? What did we do? And they say, no, we just didn't think about you. We called somebody else. Why are you, why are you losing those people? Because you're not staying in touch with them. You can help with that. You're in the marketing piece. You know, I'm, you know, this is true. You can do it with, 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 uh, you, Internet marketing, direct, whatever, but make that phone phone call too. Especially somebody hadn't done a somebody hadn't had a transaction with you in a year and a half. You need to call them. Yeah, so many people forget to take care of their existing customers in their ambitions to get new customers and grow their business, and they don't realize that there's still, you know, there's still money to be made. There's still service opportunities with their existing customer base. For example, with internet marketing, uh, we have a client that we recently 
decided to start just sending out email blasts to their customers only. And it wasn't, it wasn't sales material. It wasn't buy, buy, buy. It was just, here's five tips on how to know if your ducks are ripped. And that one email resulted in, I believe last time I checked, it resulted in over $17,000 worth of service mm-hmm. because it was just people were, they hadn't heard from the company in a while and they see an email and then they read it and then they start thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got these signs and my, you know, my air vents are dirty. I haven't changed my filter in six months, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Then they start thinking about it and then they call. Mm-hmm. But if they hadn't done that, those customers would have just, like you said, they probably would have not been top of mind the next time they needed service and just called someone else. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So out of, I guess, out of all the HVAC training you do, uh, what are some of the most important tips that you give uh, to companies, I guess, to increase their sales or just to improve their sales all, all around? Well, um, I, I, it's not just one simple thing like it's not just one simple thing um what what i do primarily is i i i help you build your business through better relationships with each other uh so in that regard if you're struggling with sales you got to look at okay well wait a minute what's going on well sometimes sometimes it's well we just need to teach these technicians some skills but I teach the same. I'll teach different companies the same thing. It will work great in one company, won't work in the other. And and the reason it doesn't work in the other is because the other company uh, has a system that's broken. Mm-hmm. The company is a system of relationships. And I do a lot of team building and system work in the company through leadership development and teaching leaders boundaries who owns what for instance and i teach a lot of leadership things like a boundary is an invisible line around you that defines who you are who you are not what you own what you don't own what you're responsible for what you're not responsible for and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do mm-hmm. give an example uh I had a man read my book. He called me, asked me to help him, and I helped him. And he said, hey, can you answer my phone for me? Because we have a call center. I, I book and dispatch calls for small folks after hours for big folks. Got a team that does it offshore. And I said, sure, we can do that. And we kind of grew into that. And we, we increased his revenue by 100% because we were booking for him. And he wasn't calling people back. It's a one-man show. But then we took his dispatching piece. Okay, we're going to dispatch for you too. But he never would let go of dispatch. So he would go places and not talk to us all day. And I had to call him three times. I called him. The third time I called him, I said, hey, if you, don't, if you don't work within the process, I'm going to give this back to you. Because we own dispatching, but yet he wants to do it. So he, he did it again. It was terrible. I, you know, we met and I said, listen, we hereby give back to you the process of dispatching. But with dispatching, ownership comes responsibility. Here's what responsibility means. We're not going to respond to people that have questions about dispatching. You do because it's in your head. Mm-hmm. So what happens in a business is you'll have a, a leader of a company that has a dispatcher and he'll make dispatching decisions. 
and that undermines empowerment. Mm-hmm. And nobody in the business owns anything, begins to own anything. Everybody in the business just waits and stands around to wait to be told what to do. So you have no ownership because you've got system problems. And that leads to other toxic things in the system. So I do a lot of work with leadership and companies around how to build unity of purpose in your business and empower people to do what they already know what to do. And the reason I had to learn how to do that is because I would install a service called Blueprint Process in a business that wouldn't work. And I'd look around, there's sarcasm. Nobody takes responsibility for anything. Everybody's blaming everybody else. Nobody owns anything. Attitudes are terrible. And it all goes back to the leader because the leader allows stuff. As a leader, if you're listening to this, you're going to get a combination of two things, what you build and what you allow. A lot of what you got that you don't like is there because you allowed it. Yeah. So how do you think that this type of leadership where, you know, like you were saying, where they allow, you know, a lot of stuff to happen. How do you think that this affects recruitment efforts, hiring and and retaining? It definitely affects retaining Mm -hmm. because uh, you get in a a system that doesn't have boundaries and it's boundaryless. Usually there's some abusive things going on from leadership and management and uh, you'll have a high turnover. Uh, So I'm not sure about recruiting because they don't know what's there, but they get there, they leave. I can give you tons of examples of that. But just, you know, no boundaries, no respect for anybody. You know, leaders have to, leaders are really, are a linking pin. A linking pin, if you can think about this, is a trailer hitch is hooked hooked up to a car. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the little pin that keeps the trailer hitch there. You know, you put it there to safety so it won't break. Or, or, but leaders are linking pins that bring together people in different segments of the of the of the system, and 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 help create unity and empower people. But most people have, or a lot of people think leadership is no. You just do what the hell I tell you to do when I do it. You do what I tell you to do. No, 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 no. That's not leadership. Nobody's following you. Um, you know, I have people on my team uh, guy's a medical student he's now a doctor he graduated from medical school he, he answers the phone for us <clears throat> he's in a different country and he's trying to immigrate here and he gives me he gives me he sends me a text on a Friday afternoon said I can't get in the platform that's where we answer the phone he wants me to answer wants me to help him I said well what do you think you ought to do and I get a text back and he said, well, I guess I ought to contact uh, customer service if I can get some support. I said, bingo. Yeah. See, he's waiting on me to tell he's, he's And I called him. I said, listen, David, I love you. You can reach out to me anytime you want to. I'm here to help you, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. I expect you to use your brain. You're in medical school. You're training to be a doctor. And if you want to be a doctor, you're going to have to learn how to do this because you're going to have patients on your, that may yeah. be dying. Yeah. You don't need to be what you need. And you're smart enough to know. I said, do not ever come to me. Don't do this. Do not come to me with a problem without a solution. 
I'll listen to your solution. Run and, and if I've got something else to suggest, I will. But David, you were empowered to do the wrong thing and make mistakes and learn from them. Call me anytime, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. You, you got a brain. I expect you to use it. Yeah, that's, that's leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys, you leaders out there that listen to this, if you're too busy, that's because you're doing stuff other people should do for themselves. People don't like taking personal responsibility for choices. They want you to do it for them. You're answering calls, answering calls, answering calls. I mean, I got an example technician. We loved him, man. We rode with him, loved him, taught him, trained him. And finally, the owner, he called the owner one day with a question. This is three years of this. And he said, he had a question. I don't know what the question was, but the owner said, hey, if you don't know the answer to that question, I don't, I'm not sure I need you. Yeah. And the, the technician quit two weeks later. But the, it, it was just somebody that wouldn't, he wasn't ready to grow yet. He wasn't ready to grow. Just afraid. Afraid to make mistakes. Which relates back to childhood stuff. I talked yeah. about that. It's, it's issues with making mistakes and being shamed by his father. Yeah. I've heard a story on the podcast before about something similar to that where the owner of the business was, you know, and, and, he's, and he's a pretty good leader in my eyes. He had a technician come in who he had hired to specialize in a particular service area. And the guy was asking him all these questions about how to do all this stuff. And he looked at me and said, if, if you and I knew – or if I knew everything that you knew, then one of us wouldn't be needed. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that kind of stuck with me too, because it's like like you were saying, you hire people and you should expect them to use their brain, like you were saying, but just be able to do what you know what they're hired to do. That way you don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of like you were saying earlier, you had some examples of uh, retaining problems where the leadership that was in place really had done a bad job. Uh, mm-hmm. with with the culture and with you know with expectations and what they allow that resulted in you know high turnover uh, not allowing people to make mistakes um, and when people make mistakes shaming them and blaming them and uh, when you shame and blame people for making mistakes uh, they hide their mistakes and they'll do anything to avoid shame and they, you know, pat that pattern that goes on causes turnover in your business. So that's a real big one. Here's the here's the deal. Uh, give an example. Anne on our on our team uh, made a mistake. It was New Year's Eve this year. I had planned on sleeping late and not doing much New Year's Eve. I was going to take New Year's Eve off. So I get up New Year's Eve late for me, 6.30. And I get up and I see that I had had a phone call in the middle of the night from overseas. And then I had a text message. And the text message was, I can't get in the system. So I got in the system. So I got I got one person answering telephones for four companies. And we're not answering because we can't get in the system. So I logged in. And uh, we, we hadn't missed any calls, so we, we dodged a bullet. And I the phone began to ring because it was morning. I booked a couple of calls for two clients, and uh, they took the phones, and we dodged a bullet. But then I got on the phone. I said, what happened? What happened? She said, well, I went to a friend's house today. So she's daytime for her. And uh, I forgot to take my electrical cord battery ran out about 2 a.m. your time 
<laughs> here's bad leadership. Bad leadership. Here's bad leadership. Don't ever do that again. You're supposed to do this. You're, don't do that again. And shame, 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 blame, blame, blame. But if I could run a video of my life and you could see it, I would have no room to be prideful or arrogant. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, give you an example. When I started this business in 2000, I did teleclasses before we had video. <laughs> I had tw- I had 10 or 15 people signed up for a teleclass. I forgot. I didn't even show up. Wow. Have you ever, have you ever forgotten your computer cord? I can't say that I have where it's I've forgotten a lot of other things though yeah. in the past. Here's the deal. We're human. I said and yeah. lesson learned. Yeah. Please be more careful. And a great a great a great employee, a great asset to the team. Yeah. But she, she's human, just like I'm human. I actually missed two of those. I, I've done two. I've missed two of my own classes in 20 years, just because I forgot. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important too. After a mistake is made, or someone drops the ball, or or something doesn't go right, to sit down and just say, you know, what did we learn from this? What did we learn? How are we going to avoid this happening again? Correct. Because if it, if it keeps happening, then there's you know then that's when frustration occurs well that's a pattern that you have to address i'm not talking about patterns of the same thing Mm -hmm. i'm about making mistakes and that's the way we learn and so why are we so frustrated when we see a mistake why are we so surprised why we why do we shame why do we blame it's normal natural behavior you ought to say well there it is i'm glad we got that one out what can we learn there it is (laughs) no for some reason, we're so afraid to make mistakes. People are stuck, man. Yeah. That's the way you learn. Listen, you have to think about it differently. It's, I just help people think different. I'm a cognitive behavioral specialist, really. So you make a mistake. That means you did something. You got an outcome you didn't want. Good. We'll change. I didn't want that. It's just a mistake. It's an outcome I didn't want. I'm going to do something different. That's it. We're too emotional. Yeah. You know, we take it personally. Well, I, let me say this. If you're making mistakes, that's good. Get a bunch, get them out of the way. You're going to learn from that. But Absolutely. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, uh, you know, if, if leadership isn't the problem and you have technicians or employees who are just, for lack of better words, not a good fit or – they're neglecting their job and doing, you know, everything but what they're supposed to be doing. What are some advice that you have in regards to firing or disciplining? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you have to set your expectation. Here's what I expect of you. And then you have to have systems in place that um, ensure ensure that the behaviors happen. So here's, here's what it works. Four, fourth point, four things. Leaders have to be really clear. Here's the expectation. We're going to do this process. This is the process. Then the people go out and they start doing the process. The process is new behaviors. That's the second step. But when people start doing the new behaviors, it leads to a different identity. And that different identity sets a new standard. But you have to have a system in place that ensures behaviors are happening. So what happens is if you've got... If you've got good expectations and you're clear about it and you have 
systems in place that say behavior isn't happening, you, you must give your people all the training, the support that they need. Because it might be a skill. It might be limiting beliefs. It might be values that don't jive with what we're trying to get them to do. It might be they have issues with their identity. They hadn't grown in that area. It could even be spiritual issues. So the, the spiritual, the identity, the values, the belief system all support the skill. So you, you, might, you might be telling the guy, you know, you got to talk to people about money, man. And he can't do it because his mother told him not to because it was rude. See, that's a belief system. You got to figure that out. You might, you might be um, telling a person he's got to uh, talk about talk about uh, options and showing a person how to fix the system plus make it better. But he has a value system that says no. I'm just I value just fixing what's broke. So you can't do the behavior. Or you might have another. Uh, some some identity issues, you know. He doesn't see themselves. Here's here's an identity issue. I was in the South in Jackson, Mississippi, trying to get technicians to get out of the truck, go into the house, and sit down at the kitchen table with doctors and lawyers behind gated communities. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening, man. Couldn't get none of them to do it. And I said, and I went to see him. I said, what is going on? And he said, oh, I know what it is. You got to go watch the Help, the movie, the Help. <laughs> I said, what is that about? I went and watched it that night in the hotel, and I got it. The culture down there was going behind gated communities, you are not the trained, you are not the trusted advisor, you are the help, and the help don't sit in the kitchen. So see, they had an identity issue. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, the, you have to help people grow personally, but at some point, if they won't grow, you have to show them the door because we don't have a charity. This isn't, this isn't ministry, it isn't charity, it's profit. And performance is very important. You know, I call it, we love them out the door. Yeah. They say in the, uh, the military, either shape up or ship out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, it, yeah, I've seen a lot of businesses not, you know, reach their potential because they continue to be a charity for particular associates or employees, technicians, whatever it may be. And they just allow them to just keep scooting on by, scooting on by. And it's, it's stunting their growth, really. That's a deeper issue of uh, the leadership is sick too. It's a codependent relationship and the leadership is over responsible. All of those leaders that have that issue need to go to Al-Anon so they can learn how to quit doing for people what people should do for themselves. You got to learn how to stay connected with people, but expect, but let go. So they, there's an entitlement, you know, they feel like they owe them. So it's really, that's, that's, it's, it's, listen, we all grew up in a family system and we got toxicity from the system. And you got a lot of people that learn codependency there and they take it in their business and they, they're codependent with their relationships with their employees. So that's a pattern of codependency. I owe that person. I'm obligated to that person. And you got to think different. No, I'm not obligated to anybody. I don't owe anybody anything. I just have responsibilities toward them. And I'm not responsible for supporting them if they function at a low level. 
we're supposed to love people, but that's never an excuse for underperformance. Yeah. But we, we give excuses for underperformance because we feel like we are over-responsible for them or we need them. It's a neediness. Yeah. It's all psychological stuff. That's what I help the leaders with. But those are what you're describing there is a system that has toxicity is sick. And until they fix that, you know, the system will run kind of like this in the water. Yeah. And that's just the thing. Like, <clears throat> they shouldn't feel like they need the person, really. I mean, like, if it, if it comes down to that where it's codependent and they're, they're feeling like, I need them, but I'm – you feel like, oh, well, I need them, but you're still doing the, I guess, the rem- remnants of the job that they're not doing anyways. So you're really proving to yourself that you don't actually need them because mm-hmm. um, you could do it without them. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you definitely want to have the right people in place to make sure that you don't have to do that. Yes, but if you're if you are uh, doing for somebody something that they should do for themselves or you're allowing them to be less than they should be, you're really facilitating their irresponsibility. And that doesn't empower anybody. Yeah. So, but, but the issue, but, but you as the leader are the need to grow. That's a growth issue with the leader. Yeah. yeah. So it's, when painful. It comes, it's hard. It's painful. It's hard to grow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, change, yeah, change is always hard sometimes too. You know, especially in the HVAC industry, you can get a lot of a lot of owners who they started off by themselves. You know, they they put a lot of sweat equity into the business for four or five years, uh, and then they decide I want to grow the business, and they have a difficult time letting go of control over everything. Mm-hmm. And and that's when you know they start they start having issues because then they hire people and. Um, either they just don't hire the right people for the right jobs or uh, like you were saying, they don't have the right, the right training to be effective leaders. Mm-hmm. And then they're still stuck doing at this point, probably twice as much work as they were before. Cause now they're having to clean up everything. Yes. And that particular who you're describing, those kinds of people really need to reach out to me because I can help them. Uh, but this particular person, this particular circumstance you're describing is a person that doesn't understand boundaries. This particular person probably doesn't have any boundaries in their life. And when you don't have boundaries in your life, you don't recognize the boundaries in others. Example, Heather was our dispatcher. My uncle called me and said, can you send a technician out to 123 Main Street, my rental house? I said, Uncle Jim, did you call Heather? No, I don't like talking to them. I said, well, I don't do dispatching. I don't know anything about the schedule. Heather does. So if you want somebody to come out, you need to call Heather. Well, they don't use, sometimes they don't do what they're supposed to do. I said, well, if that happens, you let me know and then I'll get involved. But Heather's the dispatcher and I'm not going to undermine the ownership that I have given her. She has all authority, not me. But see, that's really respecting the authority that I've given her. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to go in there and coach her and say, hey, we got all this done. Let's think about this. Can it? But I'm not going to tell her what to do. Yeah. She's going to have to make those mistakes just like I did so she'll grow. And we may lose a customer. I might lose my uncle. But if you call Southwest Airlines and ask the CEO to buy a ticket, they're going to laugh you out the door. <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. And they'll do it with love, too. That's crazy. I mean, but I, I mean, I bet there if I don't know how many people got less of this, but I bet I bet there are many owners who were booking calls and telling dispatchers what to do and when to do it. I yeah. bet you. And that's not good. Doesn't mean you can't supervise them and have accountability and coach them, but you gotta let if you're gonna let let dispatch be dispatch. Yeah. And imagine I mean, imagine how that makes the dispatcher feel too where they feel as if they've been brought into a position of empowerment to be the lead dispatcher or, or whatever it may be. And then the owner is booking service calls and then the dispatcher looks there and is like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. So then it feels like, Oh, you know, then they start probably having all these you know voices in their head saying, I'm not doing something right. He's doing it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that could also stir up some negative emotions in the office as well. It undermines uh, empowerment and people don't like and it, it. It builds a culture where people just stand around and wait to be told what to do, but you can't scale your business that way. Yeah. Can't. I agree. I think that's definitely something a lot, a lot of people could benefit from. I think that a lot of people listening to this could definitely benefit from your type of service. I know for a fact that we have a, a fairly large listenership at this point um and a majority of the listeners manage or own smaller sized hvac businesses we do have your contractors that are doing 50 million and up listening but i would say a majority of them are between one to five employees mm. uh, there's they're still crawling in ducks or in uh, crawl spaces doing duck work they're still very heavily involved hands-on and it could definitely benefit from some type of uh, coaching service. So Roger, why don't you go ahead and just, I guess, pitch your service a little bit and, or the elevator pitch of what you do and how people could get in touch with you uh, to learn more about what you offer. Okay. Appreciate that. The best way to get in touch with me is go to rogerdaviston.com. You spell my last name. I guess it'll be in here. You see it. It's D-A-V-I-S-T-O-N. And then I have a schedule that pops up on the right-hand bottom. That's the best way to get me is just grab a phone call, grab a Zoom meeting. I'll, I'll I'll talk to you for free for however long you need it. Okay, we'll just we'll just talk and see see what your issues are and see if there's something I can do to help you. Now, the 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 primary areas that I help in is 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 if if you are struggling with answering your phone and booking calls after hours, I can help you. I don't. It doesn't matter how big you are. I've I've well may, but I've got. Uh, you know, we're doing that for a $6 million company and $4 million company. But if you're really small, I can also help you in the daytime do that by booking and dispatching the one guy show, one guy operation. It's too many moving parts for me to do it for, I don't even want to get involved in that, but one person, one or two, I can do that. Um, the other place I can help you with is how to become uh, a better leader uh with regard to boundaries, because what you allow is going to continue. So I, I teach a lot about boundaries and I have seminars, webinars, I have groups, you know, we have a boundary builders group and uh, you're welcome to become part of that community. Uh, then the third thing that I can help you with is a service called Blueprint. Uh, the service called Blueprint is a popular book I, re- I wrote three or four years ago, and it's just a, a service called Process. That's it. Service called Process. And, uh, you yeah. know, I always help with the sales process. That's how I started. Yeah. I do less and less of that because I've become to enjoy teaching people how to become better leaders because 
it really helps them in their families too because we talk about issues about boundaries how to say no how and when to say no you know what you what you're willing to do what you're not willing to do uh we're always doing things reluctantly and you need to stop doing that so so it's boundaries how to become a better leader uh that's really what i have a passion for yeah it really this this will be my last thought before we we wrap up but you know it really is it's kind of like your health a lot of it is from the inside out um and so when you think about marketing a business you could do you could you could throw a hundred thousand dollars at google every month and advertising you could do all this stuff but if the inside of your business the internal operation is up in flames toxic not going well that marketing is not really going to matter because it's just going to bleed out into the community, bleed into the homeowner's house and into the work you do ultimately. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this, I definitely uh, would encourage everybody, especially as we continue to talk more and more about hiring and retaining people to take a look at your leadership, uh, take a look at the boundaries you've set for yourself and then just take a look at the people you have already. Are they empowered uh, to do what you hired them to do? Do you trust them? If you don't trust them, that's definitely probably another issue that you need to go back to step one on. Uh, and then three, if you have problems and you need help with this, to call Roger uh, so that you can get some professional training on the subject. So, Roger, I appreciate you joining me today. This has been a really awesome episode, definitely a, a different topic for our listeners, which I think is going to be a fresh breath of air for them. Yeah. Um, so thank you again, Roger. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. All right, thank you.